Radio. This is Catholics Read on Cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And today we are reading, or have read, The Crucible, um, which is a book about witches. Technically, not a book. It's a play. It's a play, but, like, you read it as a book. So It reads quite well as a book, actually. Yeah. And to our modern, you know, generation who read text messages every single day, we're actually quite good at reading plays. Yeah, and it's great for people who, like have attention re- retention problems like me <laughs> it's like there's got to be stuff happening so like going from lord of the flies which is <laughs> like description after description after description to this which is just all dialogues fantastic um, it's great so where do we begin it's intense it's yeah it's like a mumford and sons album or something it's like <laughs> yeah, it's you come out of it and you're like oh <laughs> Um, There's been a lot of um, wailing and shouting and frustration in the office. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, mainly revolving around one of the central characters, Abigail Williams. Who, yeah, we're not a fan. We're no, no one. And if you've <laughs> ever seen the performance of Winona Ryder in the film The Crucible, um, you will understand just how intentionally annoying and horrendous this <laughs> and horrendously evil this young girl is. It's, I mean, the only the only um, the only redeeming factor is is that thankfully she is only an eleven year old girl in real life. Well, she's um, she's seventeen in the play, but yeah, she is seventeen in the play which and in the film, makes, which makes it a lot better considering one of the aspects <laughs> of the plot. Um, well, the whole thing that got the whole ball rolling was yeah. the affair with Abigail Williams and John Proctor, who is also a real person, but in real life, in real history, he was actually sixty, not mid to late 30s as Daniel Day-Lewis so well portrays in the film. Yes. But anyway, we're talking about a play, not a film. So, But yes. we will talk about the film every once in a while. Yes. Just putting it yes. out there. Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, all right. So where do we begin? What happens? Kiara, Victoria? It's one of your favourites, Victoria. <gasps> your so yes. Yeah, this is my pick. Okay. So we start off in Salem and Salem is a Puritan... Settlement? Yes, in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. About, well, two hours' drive from Boston. Yeah. and um, how, how long is that in horse ride? That is, <laughs> that's probably a good two days' ride. All right. Oh, okay. So it would have taken the judges a while to get from Boston. Oh, that's why it's eight days later. Okay, right. That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and so what happens is um, that some in a Puritan uh, settlement, there is no dancing. No, there's no fun, really. <laughs> Fun is not is, is not on the menu in a Puritan society, apparently. <laughs> and um, what happens is that um, a bunch of these girls, uh, teenagers, um, including Abigail Williams and Mary Warren and Tituba. Um, Was that how you pronounce it? Yes. Um, the the slave. Tituba, who is from uh, Barbados. Um, and is um, a convert, I suppose, and the slave um, of Paris's house, Reverend Paris's house. And um, they all go into the uh, woods and they dance. And Abigail convinces Tituba to cast a charm uh, to kill Goody Proctor. Um, who is... Elizabeth Proctor, who is John Proctor's wife. And Abigail and John Proctor had an affair, and that's why she wants the wife out of the picture, so that they can continue this affair. Someone want to take it over? Um, so... 
there are some co- apparent consequences to their dabbling in the supernatural. Um, Reverend Paris's daughter, Betty. Uh, Betty, falls ill, inexplicably ill. She can't speak, she can't move, she's just, she seems... Um, she has this bizarre she's illness that no one can that no one can explain, and um, people are starting to jump to the conclusion that there was some witchcraft going on. And so, the, one of the opening scenes of the play is um, Abigail Williams and a couple of the other girls trying to figure out what they're going to do so that they don't get into trouble for dancing in the woods and making charms and stuff like that. Making charms and stuff. So they start. So it to avoid being caught in a lie, it snowballs into this massive affair where half the town gets accused for witch, uh, accused of witchcraft, tried and tried in you know she, the most she's perverse form of justice. Yes, yes, and you know, and in this perverse form of justice, many quite a few people are hung, um, or in the case of poor Giles Corey, crushed to death under a pile of rocks. Mm. Everything escalates quickly. It escalated very. It escalated very quickly, and all the while you can see, like you know, the way it built, the way Arthur Miller builds this in the story is just incredible. It, yeah. Because you, you can see it all happening. You can see this train wreck happening. You can see where this is going, and you're like, going, come on, someone call them out. Someone say they're just lying. And there just seems to be elements of as the. As the play progresses, there's only four scenes, I guess. There's four acts, but they're essentially only one scene each. Yeah. And so it's not big. Like, it's not a big... A lot of action happens in that, but there's not a lot of scene changes or anything like that. But as it goes, it just builds and builds and builds. And there's moments of hope throughout where you think, okay, this insanity is going to be over. You know, Abigail um, continuously throughout this just getting worse and worse with her just outrageous lies um, and people are believing her and you think at some point this is going to change, some point insanity is going to happen and it doesn't. And you can see why it has the name The Crucible because it's like a crucible, you know, it's becoming heat, it's heat hotter and hotter and hotter and it's just getting... Everybody, ah. society just disintegrates and yeah. it's just, it's, uh, it's quite, it's, and in many cases it's quite accurate to the history of what actually happened in Salem, because this play is, of course, based on real history. There is, it's one of the most well-documented witch crazes, you know, that we have. And so um, I think some 40 people across, in Salem ended up being being executed. Don't quote me on that, but they're half the t- almost half the town. And... Um, there were, you know, there were various reasons that have been considered to be the cause of it, including one which is which I found out, which was kind of cool, which is called convulsive ergotism, which is it, which you get from eating infected rye grain, um, and basically causes symptoms like hysteria and you know paralysis, you know temporary paralysis and all sorts of other things, which could potentially fun yeah. fact, but it's not likely. Um, no, I think it's just regular old. Hysteria. Yes. Mob mentality. Um, and All the fact stuff. that, well, I mean, there kill was... Kill piggy. Kill know, piggy. Kill piggy. That kind of mentality. Um, I mean, of, you know, and I mean, there were, other th- there were a huge amount of things going on at the time. So in the 1690s, when all this place is taking, there's the massive frontier wars in the American continent where, and Salem was literally sitting on the edge of the world. There were all these, vet, you know, people coming back telling horrible stories about the war with the Native Americans, which was bloody and brutal on both sides. There were smallpox epi- epidemics running riot throughout the place. Like, it just, you know, it felt like the end was nigh. 
for a lot of these people, and particularly these Puritans who have just come from persecution over in England to find some kind of freedom in America only to be oppressed by these unseen forces that seem to be sucking the life out of them. Mm. So you can kind of see when... You can kind of see why this can kind of take hold of people and make them do crazy things and kill people, innocent people. Yeah, so I guess that pretty much sums up the plot of the play. There's just so much. You really do need to read the whole thing, but it's quite short. It will take you a day. Yeah. So what do we want to look at first? I mean, I think... It covers everything. I mean, this is why it's chosen for high school texts, I I presume, because it... I said that it almost covers every issue um, and under the planet, up. and then Luke brought up that it didn't actually discuss the issue um, or d- dinosaurs. Didn't discuss dinosaurs. No, um, so I need to take that back. But um, <laughs> it discusses basically everything else. Um, you know, uh, bearing false witness, adultery, lust, um, mob mentality, redemption, grace, marriage, bad theology. Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> And we're not Everything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty diverse. So I guess probably the first thing I've highlighted here, the first thing we can talk about is I guess regardless of whether witchcraft actually happened in this situation or not. Um, I mean, it seems to be implied by the author Arthur Miller in one of his asides um, asides that he seems to think it did. He seems to think that witchcraft did occur. Um, but aside from all that, I think one of the lines here that Proctor has, uh, about halfway through the play, when his wife is accused, kind of out of the blue. By Abigail Williams, by no Abigail less. Williams. So just to bring you up to speed with that in case you missed it, Proctor had an affair with Abigail Williams. Abigail Williams is wanting to get Mrs. Proctor out of the picture. And so one of the reverends that's kind of flown in, not really flown, rode in, that doesn't really work, um, mentions, you know, if she's innocent, the court will acquit her. And he says, if she is innocent, why do you never wonder if Paris is innocent, who's another person, or Abigail? Is the accuser always holy now? And I'll skip a bit. We are what we always were in Salem, but now the little crazy children are jangling the keys of the kingdom and common vengeance writes the law. This warrants vengeance. I'll not give my wife to vengeance. And that's really what it's about. It seems to be about vengeance. That really this whole thing about witchcraft is just... It may have started out in witchcraft, I don't know, but it just becomes about vengeance. And I think what is a really interesting point to make here is that you can debate about whether the devil, whether Satan, evil, is involved with the start of this, which, yes, I guess it was, because adultery and and potential witchcraft and that... But Satan is definitely at work. Evil is definitely afoot in this whole thing. It may not be in the obvious sense, mm. but it's in the sense of what sin does. Sin begets death. And that's what happens here, is that they start digging holes, they start going deeper, the sins of the past start coming back to people, and because they have no, uh, as the author mentions right at the start, they have no way of cleansing their sins, uh, because remember, they are Puritans and that. That they should have no sins in the first place. Exactly. They're <laughs> just completely buried, and they have no way of being able to get these out of the air, and so they place them on the other people. Yeah. This is the way that they are purging themselves of their sins. And that is how the devil was working 
in this situation is that he's used this hysteria, he's used this gossip and this slander and all the sins that all these people had had built up and it finally came to a head in this incident. And, you know, I've I've heard a quote from, from a, um, an exorcist who said that, you know, there's nothing really that terrifying about the notions of... There is something terrifying, but for him, there's nothing really that chilling, I guess, about the notions of possession or these kind of supernatural um, elements that evil can take. What is terrifying is how the subtlety of evil can get in. The subtle things, those subtle temptations, because it's those things that are the most dangerous. Kind of like your uh, screw tape letters kind of thing. Because obvious evil, the game's up. Good, evil, that's it. You know, the game's up when evil manifests itself in that way. But in the subtle ways, it's a lot harder to detect. It's a lot harder to see the good and evil in there. And that's how it gets into this situation. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a, that's a really interesting kind of parallel to draw. And one of the other things that um, I do, you know, that's one of the things I do actually kind of like about the play is that it does try to, it does, it kind of highlights the, um, the ineffectiveness of the Puritan worldview to actually function in society and like you know and you know quite and you know you kind of see elements of puritanism still around today you know still around today and it's even more disturbing because the wherever puritanism rears its ugly head all those same problems still occur like it's just one of those great unchanging you know he's written a he's written a play about an event that was 400 years ago and the lessons of it are still so completely relevant today like name a genocide that does not have elements of that happening in mm. there mm. that does not have elements of that you know dehumanizing your vic- your intended victim of um blaming them for all your ills and absolving yourself and actually that's an, just sorry to interrupt there that's an interesting point there as well is that just from a catholic perspective i mean the whole concept as far as I'm aware of capital punishment, which Catholic teaching does allow for, in my view, not so much today in our society, but historically Catholic teaching has allowed for capital punishment. But the purpose of capital punishment is in a really strange way for redemption um, in a sense of penance and redemption. And I guess you could see this at the end of the book here. Um, But in this case, capital punishment is used as a, you're condemned to hell. That's it Mm -hmm. kind of situation. Whereas, we're just helping you. We're just going to help you along the way because we don't want you dragging us there with it too. Yeah, yeah. There's no, <laughs> there's no concept of redemption. There's no concept of the idea that a person can exist outside of the evil that they've committed or the evil that they've become attached to. And that's disturbing. Once you do that, like what you're talking about there, genocide, once you group off a certain set of people or a certain with set a of label. people who've committed a certain type of sin with a label that you can then go, okay, cut them off and everything will be all good now. <laughs> we all know what's happened. It's happened so many times in history. I mean, you, we shouldn't have to repeat it, but it repeats. Yeah, and I mean, you can un- you can try and go, you know, you can delve into the history, you can delve into the context, you can delve, you can try and get into the heads of what was going on. But the reality is, is it was just broken humanness. We, it's And it's playing like a broken record, even to this day. Like, you know, it's just, I mean, I, I don't like this book particularly because I find it, one of the reasons is I find it way too confronting. It's way too close to home to be an enjoyment for me, unlike Victoria. Um... <laughs> 
But also, no, we're not like a problem. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not a problem. It's you know. Uh, it's... No, it sounds like you have no problem. <laughs> you have. <laughs> She's an angel sitting over there. She can face these things. I am a weak human being, and I just can't do it. No, I'm. Um, but it's you know. It's, so it's not necessary. In some ways, it's not an easy read. Like you will like all through. Like when we were reading this, you know, we were kind of sitting around, and every so often it was punctuated by no. <laughs> just because. You can see it's so it's so obvious to the observer what's going on, but no, it's like you're looking into. It's like you're watching. You rich, literally are watching a but train that's wreck. Human history. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like so many times over. We can look back and go, "Oh, what are you doing? This is so horrible." But you know what? We're doing it today. We're doing it every time, like because that's the nature of original sin, you know. And it's. I mean, I wanted to kind of bring up... I probably won't bring this up a lot because we're already over halfway through. But we can sit there and kind of think, you know... Oh, I think I say this in every episode. (laughs) (laughs) We're so much better than the people in this book. Like, you know, we're so much more advanced. We're so um, forward-thinking now. But we're not. We're so enlightened. We still have today. We still have witch hunts. Like, less than 10 years ago, we had the whole terrorism thing. But it's not even that. Let's not just go, oh, conservative governments, George Bush, rah, rah. We still have it today. You know, now it's bigotry. Now it's people who have conservative ideals. You're holding humanity back. You're a bigot. You should be cast out from your job and from your position. You should be uh, become, you know, socially ostracized. You know, we're doing the witch hunts today. And they just come in different names. Exactly. They're just coming exactly. In- I mean, we're not hanging or burning people for it. Well, we may as well. <laughs> but I mean, we're slightly more enlightened there. Progress. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> but like seriously, it's because the common folk are disgusted by that. But when you look at the way people write about, say, like climate change deniers and things like that, you wonder. Or if- just go onto the internet or Reddit. Don't go down that deep dark hole you of Reddit. Just, but <laughs> you just wonder, like, how far off? Like the end of their logic is these people are dangerous for humanity. Therefore, like you wonder how far that is off. People are still open to that kind of thinking today. You know, thankfully, we have the safety net that is our Christian tradition and people are naturally disgusted by the idea of killing people for reasons like that. But we're chipping away at it. (laughs) And and honestly, it does not like, you know, it, you know, that, that Christian tradition didn't protect Rwanda from committing, you know, from, you know, doing horrendous things neighbor on neighbor. Um, And it was a very Christian society, more Christian than we are. And that didn't protect them from the madness that, you know, that descended upon the country, you know, for, and in many ways you can kind of see a similar, you know, a similar pattern. And I've studied the Rwandan genocide in quite a lot of detail. I've also studied the Salem witch trials and all their, in all their horrid glory. And the only difference between, honestly, the only progress we've made is we've become more efficient at killing more people. Yeah, <laughs> quite I mean, frankly, I mean, we, we, that's that's the only progress we've so made. Disturbing. Yeah, and it's not good progress. No, it's that's progress. It's progress in the same <laughs> sense that C.S. Lewis used it way back in our first episodes. There we go. Flashback. You know, um, flashback. <laughs> flashback Thursday. Um, <laughs> um, so you know, it's just. I mean, and in the context, and it's really interesting the context where it was written because Arthur Miller was writing this in 1953, and in America in 1953, communism 
mm. communist was the wi- was the, the reds was the witch. The reds were under the bed. The reds were under the bed. Yes, and Australia was not immune from this hysteria either. We tried to ban the Communist Party with a referendum, and thankfully, the Australian public had enough sense to say, "Actually, that's kind of you know, non you know, acting Although against the a free- communists were evil." Just putting <laughs> no one's. It doesn't matter what the communists did. You still have a right to associate with whoever you want. <laughs> um, but you know, and so the House Committee on America uh, of. That was it. The House Committee on American Activities. That's a great name. Oh my gosh! I think we should. I think we should have like a, an un-Australian committee. <laughs> yeah. You don't know Don Bradman's batting average. Un-Australian. Australian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, well, unfortunately, in the United States, you could go to prison at worst, or you know, at best, you know, you'd be you'd be fired from your job. The banks would like you know, default on your mortgage, you know, all these terrible things if you were accused as a communist by the, you know, by Joseph McCarthy, basically. And all sorts of famous people, including Arthur Miller himself, were hauled before this committee. And, in, and you know, for a fun fact, Julia Child, the author of The Art of French Cooking, her husband was hauled before the committee because he Paul? was the ambassador for China. I like Paul. <laughs> Victoria, this, this was your pick for a book. I just... I didn't think of any of the things you guys are talking about. What did you think of? Like, just go for it. I don't know. I like like the psychological aspect of this book. I think it's interesting how a thought can be planted in one's mind and germinate and just just go into evil and be spread. I mean, that happens with all ideologies. Like, in, in the church, for instance, there was Arianism and stuff like that. Similar kind of spreading sort of power not necessarily by 16 year old girls but the similar sort of thing but the thing that I like the most about this book and you know it's gonna make me sound really unintelligent compared to you two but I actually really liked its commentary on marriage um why would that be unintelligent exactly I don't know you guys are talking about the wars and stuff like that and I'm like it's a love story I like it um and it's basically you know if, if you're if you've read the book and if you haven't I really suggest you read the book there's, it goes about the whole marriage of John and Elizabeth, and it doesn't appear to be very healthy. Um, that would one to do one to do with the fact that um, Elizabeth has image issues, basically body she image issues. No, 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 no. She Weird. just she she thought herself very plain, and she didn't think herself worthy of love. And um, the Puritan society propagated this whole basic like. Well, you are you are a pile of poo covered in you know covered in snow. Not well, it, you are a pile of snow. It covered didn't. In poo. It didn't. Like you know, <laughs> is the analogy I believe that John Calvin used. <laughs> Tenderness and affection was not meant to be shown um, outwardly or anything like that, and it stifled a healthy healthy marriage relationship, I suppose. And also that John Proctor you know cheated on his wife. <laughs> So it's all just on the rocks, and it's not very good. But there's this line he has, and he's trying to make it up to her. They're still basically on the rocks after, like, eight uh, eight months um, of not speaking about this adultery. And um, he says, I mean to please you. And I think that's probably my favourite line, because it's what a marriage should be about. It's not give and take, it's give. It's always give. And um, later on in the book, after all this stuff happens, all this stuff that we've been banging our head against the wall in the office about... So much frustration. Just so much no. Um, John and Elizabeth get to meet again um, after uh, three months of separated incarceration. And um, they forgive each other and they're affectionate towards each other and they're truthful and they see each other 
openly. I suppose it's true intimacy because intimacy is into me see. And that's what finally happens at the end. And that's why I like this book. Mm-hmm. Read it and you'll see what I think is excellent commentary on marriage. I think it's also very, like, just talking about marriage there and Proctor's um, redemption, I think, is, is very, it's very Catholic. I think it's very fascinating about this whole idea of, of man falling, but then, you know, redeeming himself and being able to... It's quite the opposite to... In many ways, it's a case of the truth shall set you free. And it's indeed, only and indeed. it's only where, like, the tide only turns against the craze when John Proctor kind of reveals his adultery. Mm. And, you know, and because you can see, you know, in the movie they capture this really well because when John Proctor goes to hang with Martha Corey and someone else, you know, they st- it's a public hanging. And so all the crowd are just watching in absolute silence and they're not, there's no kind of cheering or, you know, good, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead kind of business going on. They know these are good people who are being hanged for no reason whatsoever. And, you know, and so the movie, and so John, but it was the truth shall set you free. John had to admit the whole, you know, you know he had he had to say he had to tell the truth of why this whole thing started, which because of in- of a vindictive little brat. But you know he- it had to come in- come into the light in mm. order to be resolved. And in many ways, it was kind of a confession, like you you know the scene yeah. where he finally says, you know, because I know her. Um, I have known her. Yeah, I have known her in the biblical sense. Um, yeah, it's it's a public confession in a way, trying to... And there is relief. I mean, there's so much more going on, but there is relief. And mm. in a society where there is an absence of the sacrament of confession... They shouldn't you, need you, confession. You can... <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> you can see what, what psychological damage this does to them. Because, you know, I remember reading in a book somewhere that... Um, whoever it was, it might have been Scott Hahn, I'm not really sure, said that Christ was the ultimate psychologist... He knows what is good for our mind and what is good for our mind's confession, that sort of thing. And when that's not in, not present in your life, I suppose, despair, despair can take, take over you, I mm. suppose. Mm. And I really love how uh, he brings up, Proctor really embodies this and takes this to the end because, you know, they want to try and force him to sign uh, a confession that, that he's a witch and, and what have you. And it's dramatic. And he sums up uh, quite well the this quote that he keeps quoting from the Book of Tobit, which is interestingly not in Protestant Bibles. So I'm not sure if that was a bit of a mistake by, uh, by Arthur Miller or, I mean, he's not a Catholic. He said he, I don't know. No, he's not a Catholic, but this this is how I understood it. And I'm probably really wrong in the grand tradition of catholics read victoria is wrong um when the puritans um when the puritans left because of persecution in england wouldn't would that have been before they had time to overhaul the protestants had had time to overhaul the bible oh no no, no, no. it was no. No, so um, they would have taken over it as I mean, still, in its original still, form more or less acknowledge the the Deuterocanonical books, as we call them, uh, as say that five times fast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, as like pious reading, but they didn't consider them scripture. Aww. But nonetheless, he says, uh, as what the archangel Raphael says to young Tobias, "Do that which is good, and no harm shall come to thee." Now, 
in, it's it's like going back to last week with uh, with Flannery O'Connor. You know, it's quite obvious that harm is done to this guy. He hangs. Mm. But in the grand scheme of things, he could have been on a one-way ticket to damnation because of his adultery. But because of his remorse and his confession and his redemption, essentially, he's, he's achieved redemption, sal- salvation. Uh, the Lord has, has given him that salvation that, that he won on the cross. And, I mean, we're talking about a fictional character. I have no idea what happened in real life here, but I think this is a really fascinating look at how a man, it's like St. Thomas More or something like that, a man can just put his head quite literally on the line, um, as it were, for what is right and what is good. It's not about what's good for me. It's about what is good, period. Uh, and I think, yeah, someone like Proctor, I think, is a fantastic character uh, for someone to look out to for anyone who has committed sin in their life. Which, which is, is everyone. everyone. <laughs> um, except for Our Lady and Our Lord, which are <laughs> an image in the studio here. Um, <laughs> they're looking at you, Luke. They're, they're saying, hmm. Of course. They got me. You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. And so I think this is a great place to, to kind of wind up. Um, is the notion of redemption. Any last thoughts from people? Um, I kind of wanted to go into the Catholic view of witchcraft just because I read the Catholic Encyclopedia you article today. want to give us a today. But synopsis? I'll just say, Catholic Encyclopedia article, read it. It's fascinating. The Catholic Church has had a very interesting um, approach to witchcraft in the past. First 1,300 years, not much said on it. Never really that taken. Well, actually, it, well, actually, it was claimed to not even exist. And Augustine in 430 said, "Witchcraft doesn't exist, and if you believe it does, you're an idiot." Yeah, um, to that like, effect, and and, this, <laughs> and the statement has been fairly consistent on that ever since. Now, that's not to say that people can't dabble in stupid things, but the hysteria around it, primarily because I think to try and sum it up really quickly, God has the victory. That is what's missing from this society that's represented in this book. That's what's that's what's represented in any society, including our own. I mean, Catholics can be very, in our own society today, can very much come under this idea that, oh, no, you know, Satan's taken over the world. Let's run for the hills, you know. Mm. Well, not we only that, the, you, you can't assign the devil that much power for exactly, heaven's sake. Exactly. Like, it's not equal and opposite. You no. Know? God is the Lord. And, and the he devil will triumph. is not. You know, <laughs> he might have a couple of victories here and there. He might try and convince Harvard to, to sponsor <gasps> Which a satanic mass. they something. didn't have. Exactly. Or off because campus or whatever it was. No, it didn't happen. They're didn't pretty happen. sure it didn't happen. Yeah. And I think it might have happened off campus. But nonetheless, you know, it didn't It didn't happen in the, in the same popularity in that. But nonetheless, we need to remember, God has the victory. And that's, this is missing hope. It's missing hope. I, I'm holding the book up and like... Waving it waving around. Waving it around at the moment. Worried you're going to hit something in a second. A microphone or something. Um... That is what's missing, and that's what we need to remember. You know, yes, of course, there may be people who who give themselves over to evil, but we we have the hope that God has the victory. No matter what we go through, God will have the victory. And I can't think of a better way of finishing the, than than that. If you want to have a, if you want to actually go a bit further into some of the more historical stuff, um, we're going to have some links up there. You can yeah, actually access yeah. all the documents, and there's a couple of good books written on witch crazes in early modern Europe and America. So yeah. all that will be up there for you to peruse if you're that interested. <laughs> and if you read the book and love it, we 
I, I so strongly recommend the film. The film is incredible. Yes, it, it just, is. It is. You will never see Winona Ryder in the same way again. And if you have no opinion of Daniel Day-Lewis, number one, shame on you. <laughs> number two, watch this movie because he is very talented in it. What are we going to do next week? You know what? Because because we kind of took the book that Kiara didn't want to read, <laughs> we'll, we'll give Kiara the floor yeah. this time. Oh, what, man. What I haven't had a chance. Even I can pick one I dislike. What do you dislike, Victoria? Pick a book you like. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> the Crucible. <laughs> I'm doing it again. <laughs> um, um, we looking for a short book? Yeah. yeah. Easy read? Yeah. yeah. C.S. Lewis too soon? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to suggest The Great Divorce. Mm. Peter Kreeft talks about him a lot. Um, no. Nah. Let's think what we have. Um, I'm just trying to think what else is there. What about... Serious book? Not like or... The Great Gatsby or anything. I got it. I got it. I got it. The Man Who Was Thursday, G.K. Chesterton. Is that online? Probably. <laughs> Can pro- you check? <laughs> the Man Who Was Thursday. That's, is it a short novel? Because I'm pretty it's, sure G.K. Chesterton... Days. Two days. Okay. Means I need to start it's now. It's on Gutenberg. <laughs> oh, okay. That's free. It's on, it's on Gutenberg. It's free. It's right here. Right there. There we go. There it is. On oh wow okay cool. the internet okay the interwebs the interwebs <laughs> so right. the I man love that book so much I so. am more than game for Just the man it. that was Thursday yes man who was Thursday next week or next two weeks or whatever next fortnight next fortnight okay so I didn't think it would be possible for us to be more delusional than we were after my flight from Hobart but <laughs> guess what we are so that's <laughs> we'll be seeing witches soon. That's not the crucible. It's a bit like a crucible in this office. It's actually quite hot. hot. Straya. Straya, mate. It's like, what? What? I have to look at my watch to find out the month. It's May. (laughs) Um, Uh, We're in. Yeah. We're we're getting off topic, people. Wrap it up. (laughs) Let's go. All right. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks with Chesterton, the man who was Thursday. So thank you, Victoria. You're Victoria. (laughs) You're Kiara. No Thank you. Thank you, Kiara. <laughs> Thank you, Victoria. Bye. Bye. And see you later. Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Free from cradio.org.au.